the umpire's found something oh, here. Oh, the back. Ooh, ooh. So, Carlton are going to have a kick from directly in front of the Motlop. Well, I, does anyone have any idea what happened then? That's one of the great mysteries. One of the great, maybe a little bit of back chat, descent. Does oh, that come back? It's not holding descent. Clear, clear. All clear and descent. So, it's going to be a Carlton free kick. Here, descent. So, all clear behind. that's not what he yep. said. That's descent, said umpire Craig Fleer, and that was a goal to Carlton that put them in front before they beat GWS by 10 points at Giant Stadium on Saturday. Joining us now on the show is Dan Cherney from Code Sports. Dan, we've unwrapped the derby in the first hour, so we're going to talk about other games around the AFL. It feels like a long time ago that uh, Collingwood beat Richmond and, of course, Jamara Hagen had that great night at Marvel Stadium as well. Um, but let's start with the descent rule. What did you make of it? Oh, look, it's been a bit of a saga, hasn't it, Duff? I think, uh, you know, we saw last year, it was, it was the uh, clamping down from the AFL uh, over that. And, um, and uh, uh, sorry, Matt, uh, I, there was a bit of someone just talking to me. Um, yeah, we saw last year there was um, the clamp down at the start of the season with the AFL and... Uh, Early and then they probably loosened it. And then on the weekend, the Giants and Carlton game and Stephen Cornelio, um, it was a bit of a debacle, wasn't it? I think to have, I think the, the issue here is, here is lack of lack of consistency uh, and the fact that when um, you know when you're paying them for, for that, but they're not paying for others, as we saw with probably Jack Higgins, the Saints, and several others uh, across the weekend. Um, there's a real issue and. I think it'd be fair to say that there's confusion from players and uh, particularly at such a crucial juncture of the game, it really brought it into focus. But it, it's, it's so subjective uh, as to what is the sense. And I think there's just uh, a lack of understanding and um, the AFL's got a bit of a problem on its hands. Yeah, it's one of those game awareness ones, isn't it, Dan? It's, it's like at, at that moment in time, it was such a big moment in time and to pay a free that really no one was aware of. I mean, one of the big things with umpire descent is that we had we need to send the right message to kids. And no one was even aware of this until the umpire actually paid the call. And it was he clearly says to um, Lockie Whitfield when he um, when he questions, he says it's not what was said. And then he made the gesture about the outstretched arms. Well, if outstretched arms are descent, they're paying thirty of them a game. I would have thought mm. that's that's the issue. Yeah. I think. Yeah, exactly. And you're right. You do have to, uh, again, look back as to why this, this clampdown happened in the first case, in the, in the first place. And um, that was because of concerns around community umpiring participation across the country, which had taken a hit during COVID, but not entirely related to COVID. And uh, they, they found that um, umpire abuse was one of the reasons um, for which the, the, the drop-off had occurred. Uh, and you look at what happened there, and we, as you said, we wouldn't have known if not for the audio. It was all very vague. And now, obviously, I still think they have to take it seriously, but has it gone too far? And you're right, it's just the lack of consistency. We would have seen 30 or 40 across the weekend. So I think the AFL have to come out today and make a pretty clear explanation of what happened. Just say, was this an umpire error? Was this too far? Is this not what should be paid for, and if, if that's the case, so be it. We move on. It was a mistake. If this was deemed correct, well, 
then I almost have to go out and explain why the 30 or 40 examples that you probably mentioned weren't explained. And it's, there just has to be consistency. If there are different thresholds of different umpires, then it's, it's just not really an acceptable situation. Are the Cats in trouble? Zip and three. They're beaten by the Suns. Now, I think the Suns will be hard to beat up there this year, so I'm, I'm, that's, that's a result that you have to take with a grain of salt. But the fact that they're zip and three and they just look a little bit off, what's your take on their prospects? Yeah, yeah they're certainly in some trouble at zero and three. It's just it's hard historically to, to come back from that point. Now, they haven't been destroyed in any of the three games. They've all been pretty narrow losses, albeit the Suns ran away from them a bit yesterday, and as did, Coll- as did Collingwood in round one. I think yesterday was the most alarming of the three, though. You look at results against Collingwood and Carlton. Collingwood are premiership favourites. Carlton, I think, have a serious claim to be a, a top-four aspirant. And you think, well, maybe that's that's understandable. Um, but against Gold Coast, who, you're right, will be should be pretty competitive up there, and they certainly have been historically early in the season. They tended to be a better side, but there are a lot of worry, worrying signs for Geelong yesterday, particularly um, their clearance game. They were just slaughtered in that area of the ground. I think the midfield is really struggling. Patrick Dangerfield's only just going, and then uh, he's got so little support. Um, Cam Guthrie is, uh, is not playing at his best. Tom Atkins um, is, is, is struggling. Canna Bruin is, is a long way off the pace, it seems, at this point. Uh, in his first season at the Cats, Jack Bowes had a quiet game uh, in, in the ruck. Jonathan Segler filling in yesterday was um, was soundly beaten by Jared Witts. Um, and, and across the board, and then, then up forward, Tom Hawkins just looks um, a bit underdone. Uh, plus, they have the defensive worries now mounting. I know Tom Stewart came back and was, was very good, but Sam DeConnor getting hurt and being ruled out for the latter stage of the game yesterday. So, look, 0-3, it's not terminal. Um, and they have Hawthorne next Monday, which is a very winnable game. But we were just saying the same about the game against the Gold Coast this time last week, and they lost that. So, look, there's still plenty of time to turn it around. 20 rounds to go for a slightly longer season this year. Obviously, they haven't played in Geelong yet, where they have an outstanding record. But uh, I think... Um, yeah, they'd want to get they want to get moving, and, and at the moment they don't really look like it. Just on the Sun side of things, Jack Lukosius, that was probably his best game of AFL footy, Dan. And um, the last two goals are absolutely from La La Land. The sixty-five metre drop punt, haven't seen one of them since you retired, and the thirty-five metre around the corner banana kick for goals numbers four and five that really iced the game. They were incredible goals. No, it was a, a stunning effort from Jack Lukosius and. He's one of these players that uh, was very, very highly rated in this draft year. Obviously, he was a very early pick too. Um, and probably had, you know, he'd shown glimpses and seemed like a very nice, neat player. Um, you know, good lead up, great kick always. We, you know, that was one thing we, we always saw in him. Um, he played a fair bit half back, he on the wing. Um, and we weren't quite sure what sort of player he was going to develop into and whether he was just going to be a bit of a, just a, just a nice, handy player without being a star. But, he showed star qualities yesterday, uh, superstar qualities, really. Um, and, and, you know, it was just one game, but it was, it was a hell of a game. And he just provides something really different in that forward line, um, which is pretty tall to start with. But uh, to be, you know, k- kicking him from, from everywhere, I-, I loved when he went back after he took that mark late in the game and, and kicked that one from 60 or something further than 60. He marked from 60 and kicked from 75, 80 almost. Uh, he's a long, long way. Just the assuredness which he had. Um, the poise and the belief it was just a it, it was a real oh, I, you know I'm the man moment and um, 
he certainly was yesterday. Yeah, and the other one that was had I'm the man moments, I thought, in the last quarter of that game was Matt Rowell. He just decided that every ball when it hit the deck at a stoppage was his ball and, and went after it. And, you know, whether he was always effective with the disposal, but gee whiz, Geelong weren't getting the ball uh, from any of those stoppages when Matt Rowell was there. No, and, and I suppose in some respects it was a bit of a changing of the guard there. Uh, and then I didn't touch on earlier Joel Selwood's um, retirement at the end of last year. Perhaps we didn't appreciate how, how significant it would be. But um, with Dangerfield down and Raoul, um, who is not probably kicked on as, as some would have hoped he would have after his very impressive start in early 2020 before he got injured. He's had some injury worries since then. Um, now that was uh, that was a strong showing for him. And, and across the board from their midfield, you know, Chip Miller's obviously a, a very consistent and impressive player. Noah Anderson's kicking along nicely. Um, now there, there was a lot to like about the Suns yesterday and, and uh, they need Raoul to sort of take that next step if they're going to be a final contender this year and after a slightly start to the season well they breathed some um, early life into their year and um, hopefully for, for their sake it's only the start of things to come Massive night for St Kilda at the MCG almost 70,000 people there to watch them play Essendon um, and Ross Lyon has that knack of uh, taking the rough edges off, off of teams and getting everyone on the same page and playing a very cohesive brand of football very quickly he does, and 3-0, and um, you know, who the Saints would be on top of the ladder uh, at this early stage of the season, given all their injury worries uh, heading in. I mean, I think it was looking pretty dire, and we've spoken about it, you know, every week now, and they continue to um, confound them. I suppose in the end, beating Essendon was probably not, not really an upset, um, but they entered that match as deserved uh, favourites, not not, that, not massively warm favourites, but, you know, a warm enough, uh, and did it really nicely Got them out of the best out of the blocks. Five goals to nil. Weathered the storm when Essendon came back a couple of times, and had some really crucial involvements there from some relatively um, unheralded players. Probably no, um, uh, no more than Mason Wood, who, having been axed by North Melbourne a few years ago, has turned himself into a very nice player. Unfortunately, it looks like he's going to miss a period of time with a shoulder injury. But now the you know Ross has got them looking very organised, um, very disciplined playing to their strengths, which is their running game. Uh, they're finding sparks from kids. Um, they had Jack Higgins and now Butler, but probably hadn't been all that good in the early parts of the season. Each kicking four on, on uh, Saturday night to show that, you know, and if those two can stand up um, while Max Key and Tim Membry continue to be out, then, then the Saints are going to continue to be hard to beat. And they've got another very winnable game against Gold Coast at, uh, at Marvel Stadium this Saturday night. So they could very well be 4-0 heading into a, a game with Collingwood at Adelaide Oval the, uh, the following weekend. You get the feeling their kids are a bit better than we thought too, don't you? Owens and Windhager, are, uh, or Windhager are, uh, um, they're the sort of players I reckon that Ross will coach well and, and, and they're fronting up and playing good footy, which is probably beyond the sort of footy you can reasonably expect from, from second-year players. And, and when you get that sort of uh, um, input from them, it adds to the depth and adds to the overall performance. And, and uh, Ross loves overall team performance. Everyone plays their role. Everyone pitches in and you get a, um, a, the, the complete thing, I guess, if you like. And, uh, and that's what they're getting so far this year. Yeah, I agree with that. They don't necessarily have the out-and-out star factor there. Uh, they haven't had the really, really early draft picks um, in recent times, or probably since not, not since Max King, who's obviously out at the moment, and Hunter Clark and Caulfield, both top 10 picks, haven't quite kicked on, although Clark has started the season pretty well um, after some, uh, some injury-riddled seasons. 
Um, but, you know, Owens has done really well as that rangy sort of mid-playing tall forward. Windhager is just a, a bull um, and, and a disciplined one at that. And I think, especially in the absence of Jack Steele, provides some extra grunt and he's such a big size for, for, for a kid. Uh, Nasaya Wanganen Miller is a really nice mover, good ball user, uh, and just provided a point of difference in that team. And then a kid like Ryan Burns, who's you know very much unheralded, but has started the season quite well too, playing through the midfield and, and is just a, an incredible gut runner. So, you know, there are some nice pieces coming on there. You know, whether whether it's all enough to to make the Saints a serious top four threat, I'm not sure. But um, I think they've got to seriously be in the next V8 now. And, um, you know, I think most Saints fans would have taken that um, start of the season. Yeah, it's funny how the narrative often overtakes the, the raw data we have in front of us, isn't it? I mean, they did sack Brett Ratton after an 11-win season believing that their list was better than what he had gotten out of them. So that puts them in the mix. And uh, um, and clearly Ross is a guy who can organise a team, certainly in the short term. Hey, um, Melbourne were very powerful against Sydney, and Sydney has an issue with the MCG. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> It's hard, you know. It's probably a touch harsh to say that the Swans are um, have a, a hugely problematic that, that venue, given it's you know only three games ago that they beat Melbourne in a knockout in a final there, not a knockout final, but a final nonetheless. But clearly, their last two showings there, the grand final and yesterday, have been poor, particularly the grand final. I thought they were in the game for large chunks yesterday. Uh, I thought they actually didn't play too badly, but they were in the end probably beaten up a, a bit from a contested perspective. Um, when the, when the whiffs were cracking and, and Melbourne just played, more to the point, I think Melbourne just played some scintillating footy. Uh, the Swans looked a bit vulnerable um, protecting the ground. Um, they were open up a bit, but Melbourne just, you know, that, that was on Melbourne. They, they just played some scintillating footy. Their ball movement, I think, has gone to a new level this year. Um, they look just a much more free-flowing side. Clearly, they've had some injuries as well, and, and and you know, Max Gorn's absence hurts, but I thought Brody Grundy, he had a couple of strange moments, but I think I thought overall he played very well. Um, and even May coming back made a big difference in the back line and then up forward. The, uh, the first game had the WA kid, Jacob Van Roy, and looked imposing. I mean, he's unbelievable to think he's only 19 or 20, second-year player. When you look at the size of him, he's just a, <laughs> he's, he's built like the brick proverbial. And then um, you had uh, you know, Harry Petty popped up in the forward line, um, showing a bit of versatility. Kate Chandler, who's been, who's really struggled for opportunities, played well, and they had a massive spread of goal kickers. So, uh, look, I, I think they're, you know, it was disappointing for the Swans. I don't think it's panic stations by any stretch yet, but a bit of a reality check perhaps. And for Melbourne, it's, it's a really good sign after, after a, a disappointing loss to, to Brisbane up at the Gabba, where they were they were smashed up in what is their one with the contested ball, but they could bounce back pretty pretty strongly. What do you make of Brisbane? Dan, like terrible, then great, then not great against the Bulldogs. Yeah, it's it's a worry, and they've got a tough game on Thursday night against um, a red hot Collingwood at the Gabba. Uh, and you know, if you wouldn't want to fall to one and three, that's uh, that starts to get perilous. Um, they were pretty ordinary against the Bulldogs. They never really looked particularly cohesive. The Bulldogs' pressure game was was really strong and. Um, Meant that the Lions were were never able to to have the game on their terms. I mean, they were in it right to the end. They were not, they were certainly not disgraced, but they were. They, by the same token, they they were nothing special. And you think there's there's more talent there than, than they're letting on. I'm, their midfield just doesn't seem to be humming like you would have hoped. 
Um, it's not that there haven't been some good individual performances, and we saw against Melbourne they were very good. But uh, one one guy who I think the, the blowtorch should probably be coming on to at this point is Hugh McCluggage. And he's a guy who's named vice captain this year. He looked to be sort of a he's been I think in the Australian squad maybe three or four years in a row. And thereabouts is a really promising player, until number two draft pick, uh, or number three draft pick, be pardon. And um, he's been very quiet, I thought, to start the season. And then Joe Danaher, just just the tease that he is, just doing some dumb things, you know, having moments, but not really being able to take advantage of a of a middling Bulldogs defence. Um, no, nah, it's, it's the pressure is out, is on there at Brisbane, and I think Chris Fagan is going to be feeling the heat um, pretty soon. Yeah, and, and a happy moment for the Dogs and certainly a happy moment for Jamara Hogan, of course, with the Nicky Winmar gesture after one of his goals. He stood up, he kicked five and uh, and kicked kick goals when they mattered as well. We're in a big step forward for him. Yeah, I think that was the story of the round, really, when push comes to shove. Um, what a moment. An iconic image recreated, but a really an iconic, an iconic image um, in his own right. Jamara Hagen, five goals. Um, you know, at key moments, um, it really did throughout the whole night. Kicking five in a low-scoring game is, is no mean feat. A very impressive performance. Um, you know, I think we probably lost in the racism um, issue of the previous week. Obviously, that's the, completely abhorrent and great to bring that to light. Was that you know he had struggles uh, and they needed him. They needed more from him on the field, and, and he truly delivered. Uh, and they looked okay, the Bulldogs. Um, Again, there there is some life. It was a very Bulldogs performance in many respects. They are a pretty good backs against the wall side under Luke Beveridge, and they showed that again. So, um, you know, some promise, but uh, again, they need to back it up. Um, and they've got Richmond at the MCG on Saturday night, so it's not an easy game. The Tigers should get a few back, so uh, the challenges don't stop for the Bulldogs. One last one before I let you go. Clarko and Sam, the big battle down in Lonnie. And uh, if Clarko stayed with his uh, flight plans, he would have had a lonely trip home. <laughs> yes, he did. I mean, that whole that whole um, that whole lead-in was you know, clearly very uh, emotional, and um, I think it was an interesting decision of Clarko to decide not to fly. I can understand why he didn't. Although I thought, it, in some respects, it was very sad that he he didn't back himself in to be able to restrain himself over the course of a one-hour flight. But uh, in any case, he was. Badly outcoached by Sam Mitchell. I thought the Hawks just controlled the game, had it on their terms. Um, it was sort of a very Clarko-style Hawthorne performance. They, they played possession brand of footy, uh, controlled kicking, incisive kicking, managed to spot up a lot of small targets, playing with a short forward line. Tyler Brockman popped up and, and was probably the best forward on the day, um, played probably the best game of his career to date. Now, the North did miss um, David Giniak, who was a laid out, and Jai Simpkin through suspension. So, yeah, clearly, that's going to hurt you. And they were that really um, did damage them in the midfield. But uh, no, a really important win for the Hawks just to get a bit of um, get a bit of the pure coating off their back after all the around their list management and the deep cold over the off season. So, um, you know, they're, they're going to struggle, I think. But you've just got to keep. Winning every now and again to keep um, to keep some confidence and build some confidence, and and the kids showed a bit. So that's, that's probably all they want. Yep, absolutely. You just need a performance like that every now and again when you're in a rebuild like they are, just to uh, renew the faith and uh, and keep everyone believing that you're on the right track. 
Dan Shirney from Code Sports, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. Thanks for sharing your views on the uh, on the East Coast games in the AFL this weekend, and we look forward to speaking to you again throughout the course of the season. No worries, Darth. Thank you. Dan Churney, Code Sports, very, very good writer. If you want to read his stuff, get onto Code, get the subscription. Uh, he's, a, he's, he's a gun, Dan. All right, we're coming to you live from the Toolkit Depot studio. If you want to have your say, join in on the temper at Bedshed text line 0487 736 736. We'll take a break and be back after the break.